Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because. Oh, the charcoal mask, great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice, I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Prepare yourself for the only talk radio show you'll want to turn up. Crank this thing. Sirius XM Pandora presents the place where your hard rock and metal voice can still be heard. Unfiltered, uncensored, say whatever you want. Hit the record button. Anything can happen, you know. I know that ain't nobody out there came to be mellow tonight, now did you? I say, I say there ain't nobody. I say there ain't nobody not out there that even wants to be a little bit mellow now, is there? Anybody wants to get mellow, you can turn around and get the fuck out of here, all right? This is the Trunk Nation Podcast, Podcast. with host A. Trunk. Hey everybody, it's Eddie Trunk and welcome to another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. New episodes every Thursday. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss one and get caught up on all sorts of great interviews with your biggest names in rock and metal, bringing them to you each and every Thursday. And as I tell you every time, the interviews you hear on this podcast originated on my Sirius XM radio show, which is called Trunk Nation and heard live Monday through Friday, 3 to 5 Eastern, noon to 2 Pacific, Faction Talk, Sirius XM Channel 103. So please join me each and every weekday for Rock Talk and interviews. If you only listen to this podcast and you can get Sirius XM and you are in the U.S. or Canada, which means you can get Sirius XM, please subscribe and uh, come on board and join us so you can listen to the show and hear every interview and all the great interactive stuff and the live stuff. And of course, you can always listen anytime you want. If you can't listen to the live window and you come on board at Sirius XM, on the SiriusXM app, on demand, audio, video, and more. Thank you for being here. Uh, this week, we've got a good interview for you that happened uh, about, I don't know, somewhere between two and three weeks ago was when this aired live on the radio. And it's with a total legend. And I mean, sometimes we throw that word around a little loosely, but that absolutely fits the case here because it's with Billy Gibbons, one of the most iconic Figures and guitar players in rock music history without question. He, of course, of ZZ Top. And this is uh, interesting how this one came about because, as many of you know, I now have a second home in Las Vegas where I work from often and uh, have a home studio there. And Billy Gibbons also for a long time has had a second home in Vegas. And... I was in Vegas and getting ready to attend an event for Jim Ursay, who owns the Indianapolis Colts, but also is uh, a, a huge collector of all, all kinds of stuff, a lot of music stuff, but non-music stuff as well. And they had an event coming to Vegas where Jim Ursay was going to have this big jam 
and also show this collection off. And I went and I planned to go and I attended the, the event actually uh, shortly after the interview you're about to hear. But I found out that Billy Gibbons was one of the artists performing at this. They, uh, they have artists play live as a part of these showings as well. And the band that played live that day in, in, consisted of uh, Billy Gibbons doing a set, Kenny Wayne Shepard, Kevin Cronin, Stephen Stills. So it was a pretty fun day with some great music. And uh, if you get a chance to see the Jim Ursay collection when they bring it out there, do so. It is mind-blowing what this guy has accumulated. And not in this interview, but I did meet Jim Ursay because I went to the event after this interview took place. We did this prior to uh, Billy doing that performance and the event actually happening in downtown Vegas. But uh, it was great to meet Ursay and... Uh, you know, maybe even some point even get him on my radio show and, and then down the line here on, on this podcast. But uh, really fun afternoon, and I reached out to Billy when I knew he was coming into Vegas to do the Jim Ursay event and said, hey, if you happen to be around and want to come by my radio studio, and that's all it took. Billy Gibbons showed up, hung out at my house for a couple hours, and we did the interview you're about to hear, which was really just shooting the shit which are always the best interviews. So uh, I'm very lucky and fortunate that I'm able to make things like that happen after all these decades in the business. Very lucky and fortunate that I can have iconic people like Billy Gibbons just coming by to hang out. And that's exactly what you're going to hear here on today's podcast. Again, this happened live on the radio, and I'm happy to be able to bring it to you now to everybody uh, free as my podcast. Remember, connect with me on social media at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook page for info and updates. EddieTrunk.com is the website. If you're in Vegas, speaking of, I'll be there on April 1st, hosting the record release party concert by Last in Line, which of course features Vivian Campbell and Vinnie Apice. That'll be at the Hard Rock on the Strip, having the entire band in on my radio show the day before, which is the release date of their new record. So looking forward to that as well. Uh, but if you are in Vegas, that'll be the next appearance, April 1st at the Hard Rock on the Strip for the Last in Line event. More stuff coming up, including some speaking shows. Keep an eye on social media and the website, and I will keep you posted on all. Oh, wait, I forgot one other thing. Today, if you're listening to this on post day, which is the 23rd of March, 2023, is the 40th anniversary of the massive ZZ Top album, Eliminator. And we talk a lot about that, so perfect timing to bring you this podcast. Enjoy, and happy 40th to a ZZ Top Classic. We have a very special guest who's just walked into the studio, and it is an honor to have him here. It's always great when we get a chance to see each other and chat, which thankfully is pretty often, whether it be private shows, public shows, uh, whatever the case may be, uh, various things we've done over the years. Billy Gibbons of ZZ Top is in the house. Good to see you, sir. Eddie Trunk, good to be back in in step. Uh, as you say, uh, we've had the good fortune to uh, cross paths uh, quite frequently. Yeah, we've had some fun times and parties and things like that that you were performing at or I was hosting at with all sorts of uh, qu quite a mix of different people, which is something that I thought about when I was getting ready to talk to you today. Because you're here because you're going to do a jam here in Vegas tomorrow, which we'll talk about for the Jim Ursay collection and what you're going to do there. But over the years, in addition to ZZ and, of course, your solo years and all that, 
you have jammed with so many people. Like you're so open to jumping in with every genre of music. Even when you look at people you've guested with, it's as wide as like Al Jorgensen to Nickelback, you know? <laughs> who who has been some of the fa- your favorite people that you've had a chance to jam with outside of the band over the decades? Well, anybody that knows three chords, we, we, <laughs> we, we keep it. It's like, uh, okay, the fourth chord is not allowed. If they know three chords... And if they can get me out of uh, a night of rehearsal, they're on. So, <laughs> well, I saw I saw that you guys even in ZZ in the earliest years, you said as long as you lay down a shuffle, we can figure it out. <laughs> That's about right. That still holds true. Is that right? It was yeah. that was always the foundation, right? Indeed. But is there a moment like uh, even going back? I mean, earliest in your career with the the moving sidewalks. I mean, you. Hendrix kind of took you under his wing a little bit, right? Yes, indeed. Uh, the Previous to ZZ Top, the outfit was uh, the Moving Sidewalks. Moving Sidewalks, right. Who got invited to go on this tour with an Englishman. The manage- Our management company didn't really know uh, who, who Jimi Hendrix was. They just said, uh, hey, you've got an invitation to join a tour with an English musician. Well, at the time... The English guys, the British invasion, shall we say, was uh, really in full swing. And I, it's fair to say that uh, Jimi Hendrix may have uh, reached the zenith of all of that madness. But we got to go. Uh, we we said, yeah, let's let's hit the road. But in order to fin- in order to fulfill the contract, which is a forty minute set, we had to. Uh, we only we only had enough material to play, which included Foxy Lady and Purple Haze. And Your set had that. And somebody said, you're going to actually play that before Jimi Hendrix comes on. I said, well, we got to finish 40 minutes. And I'll never forget the first night uh, I saw this figure in the shadows outside on the edge of the stage. And we, uh, we did Foxy Lady and then Purple Haze. But on the uh, exit, uh, this guy grabs me and I spun me around. And he said, "I want to get to know you. You got a lot of nerve. I like that." <laughs> and it was none other than Jimi Hendrix. And that was the first encounter with him. Oh yeah, we we became p- pals uh, directly that 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 evening. We wound up uh, having to stay in the venue. There was an upstairs dressing room. We were hanging out, and uh, that kind of started and got the ball rolling. What were your impressions? As like, because obviously, yourself and Hendrix are among the great players ever, but your styles are very different from what I, as a novice and not being a guitar player, listening would would think. What were your thoughts when you first heard Hendrix as a guitar player? Well, I had a girlfriend living in London who actually laid hands on the first Jimi Hendrix release, Are You Experienced, which had not yet hit the States. And uh, she had the presence of mind to uh, uh, fold up an envelope and uh, post it. I was living in California at the time, and uh, this thing came up through the mail. And uh, uh, the sidewalks, uh, we... We huddled up around the turntable and played the sides off of this record in in utter disbelief, saying, "Where where do sounds like this emanate from?" It was really uh, it was a mind blower. It was a, a a true head turner. Like wow, who? I guess the story goes. Uh, it would be fair to say that 
Jimi Hendrix cradled the Stratocaster and figured out how to do things on that guitar that I could pretty much guarantee the designers of the Fender Stratocaster never right. had a clue <laughs> exactly. that this was going to... Uh, sounds like this were going to emanate from that uh, classic instrument. Did you jam with them when you were on the road together? Yeah, yeah. There, In fact, there was one night in Phoenix... Um, we had we were we had to stay. There was some hiccup. We had to stay in the venue for three hours after the show had closed. And uh, the, behind the stage, we discovered there were there were uh, there were giant sheets of paper. I guess they uh, they were used for for billboards along the highway. And uh, in a closet, we discovered gallon jugs of fluorescent paint. And uh, Hendrix figured out a way to wad up. Uh, we wadded up some sheets of newspaper, rubber banded it to the to the headstock of the guitar, and we we cranked up the amplifiers, feedback city, and we we're splashing fluorescent paint over these uh, giant wall space. Uh, uh, canvases, I guess you'd call it, and of course we. Uh, the The good news is that there were black lights above the stage, oh, so wow. it it became a, the psychedelic jam session. But... <laughs> <laughs> if there was only video, yeah, oh, if there was yeah. only audio, if there was anything, do you have audio of yourself playing with Jimmy? There's there's a couple of yeah yeah there's a couple from uh, 1968. That was 1968. Yeah. Uh, that's amazing. Yeah, moving sidewalks. I may have said moving pictures. That's a rush record when I started talking about that. But uh, uh, I, I got I got uh, confused there. When you you know when you look to Z, when you move to you form ZZ Top. The other thing I was always curious about: first two records do okay, but not great. It's really the third record where really things take off for the band. Was there? Oh, you show me a picture. Wow, this is. There was the moving sidewalks with oh wow with the with Jimi Hendrix. Show that to the camera if you can get a shot of that. That's amazing. Can you, Billy? When you when you're doing ZZ Top after the first two records, going into the third album, Trace Ombres, was there pressure on the band because the first two records didn't have a a big hit or sell like the label wanted? Were you guys feeling pressure going into album three? Well, album three. It's funny you should bring that up. It's it's a, a rather salient point because album number three, Trace Ombres, right. followed uh, one of ZZ Top's first uh, live appearances outside of Texas. Uh, I should say. Well, we had done a few things around Louisiana, Mississippi, but a good buddy of mine was. Uh, he was. Uh, at the at uh, Memphis State up in Memphis, Tennessee, and I had sent him uh, a copy of uh, the first album, and uh, I, I said, "You deserve to get one of the first copies off the press." I said, "One of the songs included on the on this first record was inspired by a telephone call." He held the phone up to his little record player playing a, a Peter Green blues number, which became uh, the inspiration for a ZZ Top song. And uh, I guess it was uh, shortly thereafter, uh, my buddy said, hey, man, he said, uh, 
I was playing your record, and uh, my pal is organizing a, a blues festival, and he heard your record, and he he thought that you guys should come up and and play the blues festival, which we did. And after the show was uh, concluded, we were met by some of the local Memphis, uh, the Memphian guys. Uh, uh, Jim Dickinson, Lee Baker, and the famous Robert Johnson, Dwight Robert Johnson, and uh, they said, "Man, you guys are are tearing it up. Uh, why why don't you come and make a record here in Memphis? Uh, we'd love to have you guys up here." And I said, "Well, I said we've we've been doing okay. Uh, uh, we got a nice little studio in Texas." And I said, uh, "What would what would?" bring us up to Memphis. And they said, well, there's a band that you may know that's making some headway, and uh, you could probably get some good sounds like they're doing. I said, who's the band? They said, this group called Led Zeppelin. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I said, well, we know about Led Zeppelin. And I said, let's bring them, bring ZZ up there, which we did. And uh, So wait, Zeppelin was recording in Memphis? Yes. And and that what, what, what year would this be about? Ni- 1973. Okay, so it was later in their career. They had that was probably what around Led Zeppelin three, perhaps three. Yeah, probably oh. three, maybe four. I don't know the exact, but around there. Yeah, wow. But so did you go there and meet them? We did, and uh, we met uh, John Fry, who was uh, running Ardent Recording Studios, which was uh, the headline uh, guys was uh, John Hampton, Joe Hardy, and Terry Manning. They were the three top engineers, and they were all working overtime. And uh, what we heard was enough to convince us, hey, let's come up here and make a record, which resulted in uh, ZZ Top's first top ten, LaGrange. Right, right. That's amazing. Did you ever tour with Zeppelin or have much interaction with them? We No. Uh, we never toured with Led Zeppelin. In fact, I'm not... I'm not familiar with. I don't know if anybody ever toured with Led Zeppelin. Uh, Maybe early on. Well, I think. Well, you're right because Zeppelin probably always headlined because they opened for like Vanilla Fudge early on. They were where I think they were the openers. You're right. Before they broke. Yes. Very early on. But you're right. I don't really know if Zeppelin carried. I I I never had a chance to see Zeppelin. I was a little too young, but. I, I don't know if Zeppelin ever carried support. I think they always just did their own shows. Once the once it exploded for them, right? They just went out and and did it, and uh, man, did they ever do it! It was you know the, the epic tales of of their of their live performances resound even today. I mean, it's it's pretty. Pretty cool. Yeah, no doubt. When things exploded for ZZ Top, I mean, the way I look at that, you had a lot of records out, but Eliminator was the one that was the game changer and went to a whole different level. A lot of it driven by MTV, new channel at the time. You guys did those amazing videos. I worked in a record store. I was a kid working in a record store out of high school when Eliminator came out. And Billy, I can tell you, we were selling them so fast that we didn't even take them out of the box. We get the box of vinyl, the box of cassettes, and we put a, a sticker on it. Here it is, five ninety nine, and we put it on the counter. And like they literally hotcakes, like for the longest time, just kept going and going and going. How did that impact you guys? Like on the inside, like were you prepared for that? Did you see that coming? Uh, we didn't, but you're right. Uh, I would say that Eliminator was one of the m- major turning points 
uh, for ZZ Top, uh, who had been uh, the little old band from Texas. And uh, we got uh, we got uh, the call. Warner Brothers uh, by this time said, uh, we'd like a new record. And uh, there, there was no real pressure uh, as, far, as far as a release date or we need this next week. So we were, at that time we had, by this time we had moved to Memphis. We had become uh, a kind of uh, honored sons, uh, T for Texas, T for Tennessee. But uh, it was, uh, it was the, the three engineers, Hampton, Hardy, and Terry Manning. Uh, that uh, that allowed us to start fooling around with some of these crazy contraptions that were making musical sounds, uh, and it, I think it would be fair to say 1983 was a uh, not it was a big turning point in the musical industry. Uh, a lot of the music manufacturers were they're ravenous to trying to figure out well what can we invent that still makes music that uh, is new and exciting. And uh, John Fry, the owner of Arden Recording Studios, was not shy. He bought one of everything that showed up, uh, and it wound up in the studio. Of course, uh, the 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 object was to uh, throw away the manual immediately. Don't read the manual. Just start turning knobs. <laughs> and, as soon as you get to a, a sound that, that seems to make sense. And that's what we did. We just uh, kind of played it by ear. So yeah. as a guitar, what's interesting about this, and for those that don't know how big younger people may be, how big Eliminator was and still is, uh, again, the music videos are legend. But the thing about it is, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Eliminator has the distinction of being incredibly rare feat, a diamond record which is sold in excess of 10 million copies in America alone, which very few bands have. But um, as a guitar player, these new sounds, synthesizers, the stuff that's going on, you embraced it or were you hesitant about it? Because I've talked to a lot of guitarists. People talk about when Eddie Van Halen went to keyboards on Jump or Rush, I mentioned earlier. They started bringing in keys around that same time. You talk to like Alex Lifeson, he's like, man, I was worried about my guitars going away and I was threatened by it. It sounded like you embraced it. You were into it. We did as as uh, kind of a, a solid platform. Uh, we then got to back, uh, tiptoe in and uh, the guitar remained uh, uh, first and foremost. There was another uh, noted producer that worked in and out of Memphis, Jim Dickinson, the late Jim Dickinson. And uh, I remember him smiling, and he said, "Yeah, he said, uh, you haven't lost that that uh, the roots of the blues." And he said, uh, "He said them guitar licks are, are sitting on on top of the world." He said, "Some of the sounds underneath it are uh, fresh and new." He said, uh, "But you bring it all back home by playing them licks." <laughs> I said, "Okay, great." When you have a record that big, what's it like? trying to follow it because now the world wants another one and nobody can do 
hard. I don't think anybody's ever replicated back to back 10 million selling records. So the subsequent records did well, but obviously nothing at that level, which would be impossible to achieve again. But but how were you guys feeling coming off of Eliminator after all the touring, millions of records, faces or household names, the beards, the videos, MTV? What what was it like going in? The next record was Afterburner, right? Yes, but I'll take a page out of your book when you mentioned the magic of MTV. Uh, it was so new and so fresh. In fact... <laughs> There's an unusual uh, story about ZZ Top and MTV. Uh, Dusty and I were sitting at home, and and, uh, we both received a phone call from uh, our fair drummer, Frank Beard, the man with no beard. And uh, (laughs) he said, hey, man, he said, uh, are are you guys tuned in? He said, there's a really interesting concert uh, on being broadcast. Uh, He said, it's really strange. I've been watching it now for about three hours, and it's still going on. <laughs> so uh, Dusty and I both tuned in out of curiosity, and another three hours had gone by. I finally called Frank back, and I said, when is this, when is this concert? Where it? He, we didn't know. And finally, uh, you know, the light bulb went off. Oh, it's a 24-hour new music TV channel. Right. <laughs> it would not stop. So uh, that was our introduction to MTV. Yeah, and that was obviously a big driver. But but going, you know, making the follow-up to Eliminator, making Afterburner, were you going into that? What, did you feel pressure? Was the label on you? Were you like, here, like you said, you're the little old band out of Texas. Now all of a sudden you've got a record that millions of copies and worldwide and everybody knows your faces. Like, how did you guys process that as a band? How did you handle it? Well, it was a, the pressure was on. You're absolutely correct. Uh, we were getting uh, uh, demands from top to bottom. The record company was pleased and yet they said, hey, uh, all right, you did it. So uh, let's do it again. The question became how how do you do it again, and I think that uh, I think that the the I think the the safety net for ZZ Top was the fact that uh, Memphis was uh, such a relaxed place to be. Working in that uh, environment was a delight, and uh, the despite the fact that uh, all of this pressure was looming. All we had to do was uh, we sent out down the street for uh, Mexican food and, and barbecue, uh, laying around the studio there, uh, which was so uh, ahead of the game. And at the same time, uh, the the surroundings were very, very, uh, very much uh, inviting. Mm. So we, we had a pretty good uh, uh, leg up on uh, getting to do what we get to do. And um, as you mentioned, Afterburner, the follow-up, it was kind of funny. What is Eliminator? Well, it's the it's the fastest car to drag race. At the end of the day, Top Eliminator was you know that was that was the end of the end of the day, and that that was it. But uh, they said, "Well, man, uh, how do you top that?" And I said, "Well, br- bring on a jet car and turn on the Afterburner." There you go. <laughs> so. So we, we uh, but there there was some great stuff on uh, Afterburner, a Velcro Fly, Planet of Women, uh, uh, fun stuff. What came first, the Eliminator car or the name for the record? 
the Eliminator car. You had the car already. The car had just been released. Uh, we had been working on it with uh, uh, Buffalo Motor Cars out of Paramount, California. And it was uh, Tim Newman who was uh, uh, taking the reins to be the director for these new things called MTV videos. He said, man, he said, I'm a hot rod nut. He said, I've been hearing about this uh, little red car. Uh, uh, could could we include it in the record somehow? And, and uh, I said, yeah, what do you have in mind? He said, well, he said, uh, uh, let's... He said, "See if you can talk the talk the uh, talk your way into putting a a, vi a a visual on the cover of the record." And of course, that led to, "Well, what is this?" And, and it was, "Oh, it's Top Eliminator." And they said, "Well, how about just Eliminator?" And I said, "That that's fine by me." So it was actually it was actually uh, Tim Newman who saw the light, and he said, "Man," he said. We can do that. Can't we? He said, "Does the car run?" I said, "Well, so far, I said I need to, I need to, con I need to finish paying for it. Maybe they'll give me the keys." <laughs> you know, I'm jumping around here. There's so much I want to talk to you about, and, and the audience would love to ask you a few questions too. But I, one, one other thing about the old days, you mentioned Frank Beard, the only guy without a beard, which is always a running joke and, and okay. funny. But when you guys took a break. The story of the beards went that you guys took a break and you all went your separate ways for a couple of years. And then when you reconvened a couple of years later, you and Dusty had grown beards just because you were like checked out and being lazy or what have you. And, and Frank didn't. But the initial idea for, the, for letting the beard go was to be more of a disguise because you've become pretty popular then. Is that accurate? That is very accurate. Uh, we... We had wrapped up a tour in, at the end of the bicentennial year, 1976, and we were uh, we were required to remain off the stage and out of the recording studio. And uh, Warner Brothers was uh, waiting in the wings. They wanted to sign ZZ Top to uh, the label. And uh, of course, the story now is, is kind of funny. They said, "What made you grow these these uh, chest length chin whiskers? These doormats?" I said, "Well, we got it's simple. We got lazy. We threw the razor away." And just recently, someone pointed out there is one and one and only photograph with the man with no beard. Frank Beard is actually seen on the pullout sleeve of the first record. Uh, delivered to Warner Brothers, which was Deguayo, 1979, 1980. And uh, once the uh, call said, okay, you guys got to get back together and uh, let's let's uh, reconvene in the studio. And when we showed up, uh, there we were. And, uh, of course, uh, Dusty and I had, uh, we had, we had a little bit of a lead on Frank, and he kind of threw in the towel. He said, ah, I can't catch up with you guys. I'm, I'm out. And uh, the photographer on hand, Mr. George Craig, said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I got I to gotta capture this moment. So uh, for those out there that are uh, vinyl junkies, if you go and find a uh, copy of ZZ Top's De Guayo, uh originally released in uh, 1980, 
Don't miss uh, pulling off the shrink wrap. Pull out the inner <laughs> sleeve and there you'll see it. <laughs> the great irony of all this to me is that the beards were to create a disguise and some anonymity after you had become successful. However, in the end, they've done the complete opposite. Uh, yeah, it be- it flipped. It became <laughs> it a trade. Completely trademark. flipped. Because I've told you this many times. If you wanted total anonymity, if you shaved that thing, nobody would know who you were. You could <laughs> yeah. walk down the strip right now here in Vegas, and not one person would stop you if you lost the beard. So it it did the complete opposite. It became the most identifiable trademark thing about you. It backfired. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, we still um, we still get one day a year where we're 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 free to go out and that's halloween <laughs> right because so right. hey man you look like that zz top guy you're gonna win the contest <laughs> did they ever license a zz top uh, halloween costume did they, did it was there actually one like an official one just this last uh last halloween is that right yeah you could <laughs> you for yeah you could be zz top for a night <laughs> that is awesome that is so great all right let's talk about some and last thing on that is it true the old story that everybody always heard that you were once offered a million dollars to shave it is that true it is who it's, offered that it's true uh now gillette uh would would deny it but uh, they're they're sitting in the office smiling because when we when we declined the offer, uh, they didn't have to pay it, and uh, we got to continue on being ZZ Top. <laughs> it was crazy. Was was Frank quickly trying to grow a beard so he had the option to shave it off to make a million? I'm gonna ask him. There, there's, there's, <laughs> if I was Frank, I'd be like, I'm not shaving. I'm, I'm seeing two years. Give me a. <laughs> if the tale be told, he said, "Hold off on that. Hold on a second. Let me let me see what." Why I can... did you pass on doing it? I mean, you could always grow it back. Uh, it was just. Uh... Is it corporate because they were going to use it for advertising that sort of thing? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Just we're... didn't feel right. Yeah, we just kept on going. That's amazing. Let's talk about what you're doing here in town. You're here in Vegas, uh, where you you also have a home. And I know that uh, tomorrow is this Jim Irsay event. Uh, for those that don't know, Jim Irsay is the owner of the Indianapolis Colts. He is a huge collector of music stuff, sports stuff. He's putting his exhibit out here tomorrow in Vegas at the uh, Expo Center. And it's going to end with a jam, which I understand you're playing, and it's also a tribute to David Crosby uh, in terms of the material being played. What can you tell us about what you're doing tomorrow? Yeah, uh well, let's start with uh, Jim Irsay and his his uh, remarkable uh, uh, admiration for all things sports, rock and roll. He has uh, managed to assemble a collection of some of the iconic uh, visuals of everything that uh, makes sense within those two genres. And uh, he is a genuine uh, aficionado from top to bottom, uh, this uh, exhibition allows uh, anyone that uh, shares that same passion to come see it in person. Uh, Ringo Starr's first drum kit from the Beatles. Uh, he's got uh, he's got the original uh, manuscript from the uh, the great hippie Bible from the '60s, "On the Road" by Jack Kerouac, on display. Uh, this is a pretty remarkable uh, traveling museum, I should say. Right. 
and it's uh, topped off with a great musical event. Um, and as you said, uh, by including uh, David Crosby, Stephen Stills volunteered to show up. So it's it's going to be a, a pretty interesting uh, gathering. Yeah, I'm looking forward to checking it out. I've heard a lot about this collection, and uh, I actually was supposed to leave town, but I'm actually going to stay till early next week so that I can come and, and see it because I want to be able to talk about it too. I, I reached out to uh, his PR people as well because I think it's be amazing guy to talk to about his story about how he got – so into collecting this stuff. I mean, Don't lock the door to your house here in Las Vegas until you go and see this thing. It's uh, it, it's it's a collection that uh, it really challenges somebody to leave and try and describe it. Yeah, it's really it's really remarkable. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, and of course, looking forward to hearing uh, you play with the the band that's going to be assembled there. Um, the ZZ Top documentary that came out a few years ago. Were you happy with it? Well. At the onset, I was very curious, and I approached the director uh, with a challenge. I said, you know, I said, uh, I, I, I hear what you're proposing. I said, uh, every story has an ending. And I said, I want you to know that uh, uh, if we get into this uh, documentary with you, I said, don't end the band for us. <laughs> I said, we're still going. He said, listen, we'll get to that. He said, I totally get it. And um, uh, but by the end of the day, uh, he really dug deep, and uh, he managed to to uh, uh, bring uh, he he's, he's shining a light on ZZ Top from its very humble first beginnings up to the present day. It's it's still going on. Yeah, I know Sam and Scott who worked on it. I thought they did an amazing job. I thought it was a really well done, Doc. My only criticism about it is I could have used it another hour longer because I was so into the story and there's so much in over 50 years, you can't do it all in 90 minutes. And then the other thing that was so great in it was the jam uh, footage, which then later more recently became the album Raw, which is out now, which essentially serves as the soundtrack to the documentary, right? Indeed. Uh, uh, the discussion of uh, a part two is still on the table for the doc. Yeah. Oh, that'd be great. And uh, as everyone knows, the uh, the passing of uh, our fearless bass player for fifty years, Dusty Hill, said, uh, "You know," he said, uh, uh, "I'm feeling a little out of sorts." I said, "Well, health is number one." I said, "Go go check it out." He said, "Well, uh, if I'm late coming back," he said, uh, "You know, we got a guy that's been a family member." for well over three decades he said give my guitar to elwood elwood francis and uh, i said yeah okay sure enough um elwood uh accepted uh, the you know passing of the torch was not an easy thing to uh grab a hold especially because you guys went for like 50 years never changing lineup nobody does that oh yeah nobody but here's uh here's a guy that uh uh, who, uh, upon a, his initial arrival, years and years back, uh, he had an avocado sandwich in one hand, skateboard under the other arm, uh, clean shaven. And who's for, this you're talking about now? Elwood. Elwood. Francis. Who's doing? Who's in the band now? Uh, he was hired on as uh, guitar tech, and uh, I never knew him to have whisker one. 
<laughs> so here uh, here we finally got the word, hey, uh, the curtain is lifting. It looks like uh, bands are allowed to uh, regather and hit the road. Uh, and I said, gee whiz, I said, we better hold a rehearsal. We haven't hit a lick in 18 months. And uh, upon arrival at the uh, studio, I, I grabbed one of the technicians. And I said, by the way, I said, who's the new guy? And they said, w which one? I said, that guy over there with the long beard, the beard as long as mine. They said, that's Elwood. I said, no, no. I said, that guy. And they said, yes, believe it or not, Elwood has sprouted chin whiskers. <laughs> So uh, not only did he pick up the bass and uh, played the sides off of it, he he uh, he too threw the razor away. So mm. we got the guy. Uh, one one thing on Dusty, and I don't know if, if this is something that's been revealed or is okay to talk about, but did he did what he pass away from? Has that been made public? Why how why he he passed? What you know what what it was? Well, we should make it public now. You know. Uh, such a great guy. Um, he had had uh, his ups and downs. He had had bouts uh, with different health issues. And uh, I, I think that, that gosh, he, he had just, uh, he'd got, he had just worn out. And uh, maybe it's a, maybe it's a gift. Uh, he went home, went to sleep, and then lights were out. Mm. So uh, it wasn't some protracted, weird thing that uh kept him on the ropes he he was uh he played right up till the end uh, we should be so lucky do you remember the very last show you played with him i mean obviously you didn't know it was going to be the last show at that point but was there any signs or anything in that performance that told you that he was not doing well well he we were up in uh indiana and uh we were getting ready to go on and uh, he said gee whiz he said uh Let's do this thing," he said. "I will tell you," he said. "I'm, I'm, I'm really kind of feeling out of sorts. I, I can't put my finger on it." I said, "Well, uh, should, should we, uh, should we let you? Uh, should, should we try?" I said, uh, "You know, there's thirty thousand people out there waiting to hear you blast it out." He said, "Oh, let's, let's go on and do it." He said, uh, "But," I said, "Well, look, uh, at the conclusion of the show, I said, let's talk about it," which we did. And uh, we we had a, uh, gosh, it was a show uh, before, a, we had a 10-day break. I said, look, don't worry about it. We got some time off. And uh, he said, yeah, yeah. He, I said, go go see the physician. Let them, let them uh, give you the once over. So, uh, again, uh, maybe it's, uh, a, it was, at that moment, it was a blessing in disguise, you mm. know, whatever, whatever it was ailing him, uh, you know, it was, uh, uh, it was kind of hidden out of sight, mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, the good news is we've, we've got, uh, a good five decades of great memories. <laughs> no doubt. And music, of course. And, uh, I've not seen the band yet with Elwood, but everybody says the band sounds phenomenal. You guys have done a lot here in Vegas. You do a residency. As I mentioned, you have a home. You covered Viva Las Vegas with ZZ Top. Oh, yeah. Which is a great version and video, I think. Uh, why'd you decide to do that song of all the Elvis songs? Uh, well, at the time, uh, 
uh, Warner Brothers came to us and they said, we'd like to assemble a collection and we're going to call it ZZ Top's Greatest Hits. And uh, shortly thereafter, they said, well, we got a problem. They said, uh, uh, the radio people, uh, they said, yep, it would be an interesting collection. It'd be a nice assembly of familiar material. They said, but that's the problem. We've played these songs time and time again. Uh, we would we would take the record if you give us greatest hits plus two, which was kind of our inside joke. I said, uh, two maybe hits. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I was driving back from Nashville into Memphis with uh, uh, another uh, kind of uh, standby member of uh, the studio scene, Carl Marsh, and I came up with the song Gun Love. Uh, was uh, kind of an oddball track that uh, made the grade. And then uh, I said, gee whiz, what, what could we, how could we add one more? Oh, wait a minute. Dusty's a big fan of Elvis. Maybe I could persuade him to do an Elvis Presley number. And I went through the catalog. There's so much, you know, the the Elvis Presley catalog is so giant. But I said, wait a minute, Viva Las Vegas. Uh, maybe I could persuade Dusty to sing it. Uh, I, I, I'll work on it. So I prepared the track, and we were, uh, this is very interesting, we were playing a closing night of a very long tour. It happened to un be unfolding in Shreveport, Louisiana at the Hearst Coliseum. We got out of the, out of, got off the stage and I said, hey Dusty, I said, uh, I got a recording set up in the dressing room. C could you sing an Elvis Presley number for me? He said, oh gee, he said, I'm, we're, I'm, you know, there's no air conditioning in this building. We're all worn out, we're tired. Uh, I think I'll have to pass. And I said, well, you know, I said, uh, I've got the uh, I've got the setup in the dressing room, the last dressing room where Elvis Presley changed costume. He said, really? I said, yeah. I said, you could sing, sing it in the same dressing room as Elvis. He said, let's go do it. I said, all right, it's Viva Las Vegas. He goes, I know it backwards and forwards. <laughs> So you cut the vocal in Elvis's room? In Elvis's dressing room. We cut it to a DAT recorder. Right. Uh, I had a set of earphones and a little Shure 57 microphone. Music in one one ear, Dusty's vocal on the other, and that became the... that became the, He did it. One take. Wow. And then you just dropped that vocal into everything you had been doing anyway. Oh, yeah. And there's the song for the hits record, which went on to do really well. It the really video, did. the single the version of it did really well. I had to ask you about that, given that we're in Vegas and uh, you're about to play here. And again, you've done residency and all of that. Speaking of, uh, we should mention ZZ Top, a great double bill with Leonard Skinner going out uh, July into the summer. I just saw Skinner here in Vegas about a month ago. They played at uh, the Virgin, and I just, I just love. And I said to these guys, I mean, I know Gary's not going to play. Damon's in there now. Damon Johnson on guitar does a phenomenal job. Skinner, when you go see him, the way they handle their legacy. Obviously, there's you know, Ricky's been there forever, but there's no technically original guys if Gary's not playing. But they do it so respectfully. They come out three songs into the set, and Johnny says to the crowd. 
were paying tribute to the music of Leonard Skinner. They put the people who passed up on the screen. You know, Johnny is, you know, singing for his brother. I mean, they they handle it so brilliantly and it still sounds so good. And you guys do the same thing with the ZZ Top Legacy. You know, obviously you're still, you know, two-thirds of the original guys, but still it's done so well. I think it's going to be an amazing double bill. I can't wait. Yeah, the the notion of a Leonard Skinner meets uh, ZZ Top, uh, it holds promise to be one of the great tickets for for this particular coming outing. Uh, the amount of songs everyone's going to know between the two bands is oh, insane. As you point out, they do it and do it right. Yeah. Uh, they, uh, uh, and gosh, what's not to love about uh, a ZZ Leonard Skinner bill? It's great. It's I, a good combo. I can't wait for, for that to start. And you're going to be doing some ZZ shows without them as well. I know you've got a lot of uh, of other of other stuff going on. Last thing, and then I'm going to take a break, and then we'll do one more segment. And I'll let you go if that's cool, because sure. the audience would love to talk to you. And I promised them I'd let them call in and say ask you a question. But last time we spoke, which was not that long ago, on the phone on here on this radio show, you were just getting ready to go out and do some dates, and Jeff Beck was going to be on some of the bill with you. And little did we know at that time that that was going to be the end for, for Jeff and uh, obviously major tragedy and loss there. But what was the experience like those last few shows you got to do with Jeff and to see him and play with him again? Well, it was a uh, rekindling of a longstanding friendship. I met Jeff Beck when I was 17. And uh, just recently, someone uh, was kind enough to present me a uh, one of those rainbow-colored show posters. It was announcing the Jeff Beck group featuring The Moving Sidewalks, 1968. My gosh, Beck and Hendrix, I mean, you were like, like yeah. that's just crazy. Yourself, of course, that's nuts. So we, we've uh, enjoyed a friendship uh, that lasted. Uh, and, and again, uh, I got to say that uh, uh, Jeff was fortunate to do what he loved doing the most. Well, uh, there were two things: wrenching on a hot rod and slamming on a on a guitar. Yeah, and uh, uh, we miss him dearly. Uh, needless to say, uh, but we got to uh, join uh, forces right up till the end. Yeah, and uh, uh, it, it was it was it was just wonderful. Yeah, and and as a guitar player. I don't play. I'm just a fan. I know what I like, what I hear. But in all the guitar players I've spoken to in all the decades I've been doing this, they all say Jeff Beck is the guy. He seems like he's the guitar player's guitar player. Even the most accomplished players, when you talk to them, they all kind of, no, Beck Beck is the guy. What? How do you, as a guitarist yourself, how do you kind of, summarize Jeff Beck as a player and the impact he had on you. Yeah, the admiration runs deep. There is a move afoot uh, to uh, organize a tribute concert uh, being headed up by none other than Eric Clapton, um, who uh, sent the word out to uh, Jimmy Page. I mean, I mean the, the, the number of of notable guitar players that 
to this day hold an admiration for Jeff Beck and his accomplishments is just astounding. But uh, it looks like uh, toward the end of May, the Royal Albert Hall will open its doors to allow this uh, tribute to Jeff Beck to take place. I've accepted the invitation. In fact, I told the organizer, I said, well, it's great. I said, uh, I said I'd be delighted to play a couple of Jeff Beck numbers. I said, uh, you're going to have to get uh, one, maybe two, maybe three more guitar players uh, to join in to cover what Jeff Beck could do by himself. Mm. <laughs> so, And there is uh, probably right in that statement is the brilliance that he could – he could make a single guitar sound like four. Yes, indeed. Yeah, that's amazing. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Save big money on everything for your spring projects at Menards. We have all of your garden and landscaping essentials. Master Garden Premium Garden Soil contains a slow-release fertilizer that feeds gardens for up to nine months. It produces better results and is ready to use for all your gardening needs. Save big on Menards' great selection of garden and landscaping products. Compare brands in-store or online at Menards.com. Save big money at whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. We're back live from Vegas with the one and only Billy F. Gibbons of ZZ Top. Billy has solo stuff going on. He's got uh, ZZ Top going out with Leonard Skinner, as we mentioned. That documentary, if you didn't see it, Little Old Band from Texas, is amazing. Uh, check that out if you get a chance. So much stuff we could talk to Billy about. But I want to let the audience uh, dive in. But before we do, thank you. Billy just gave me uh, – I just tell him how I love old Vegas stuff, and I'm trying to accumulate it here from my place and you just gave me a couple dice from the original Frontier. Hotel oh, yeah. There. The Frontier. Uh, Thank you. Oh, yeah. Right on the strip, the Frontier was the uh, it was the Cowboys Casino. Uh, the Western theme ran throughout. Um, and I was digging through some uh, boxes, and uh, I, too, had a fascination for this crazy town. Oh, I love it, yeah. We've been coming here since we were kids. Uh, my dad being in the entertainment game, uh, we were 
constantly traveling from the house in California to the house here in Las Vegas to the house down in Texas. And uh, in fact, uh, just recently it was uh, unearthed. There was a photo. We were here in Las Vegas and uh, my, my younger sister and I, uh, we had towels around our neck. We had our bathing suits on. Our mom said, yeah, go down to the swimming pool. We were at the Tropicana. She said, uh, go get a hamburger and uh, enjoy, your, enjoy your swim. And uh, when we arrived at the pool, it was packed. There wasn't a chaise lounge. There wasn't a chair. There wasn't a table that wasn't occupied. So we made the circle around the big swimming pool. It was my younger sister, Pam, that said, hey, I've seen them on TV. I've seen them. She started recognizing faces. Well, it was Dick Powell's birthday party. Everybody in... Who is Dick Powell? He was a big uh, Hollywood star. Okay. Uh, uh, gosh, started in the late 30s. Oh, wow. And uh, we were about to fold our tent and walk up back to the room, and we heard this uh, this voice say, Hey, kids, you want to sit down? And uh, we turned around, and there was this guy, and there were two chairs, so we sat down. And they had roving photographers making the rounds around the pool, and you could he'd take a snapshot and give you a ticket. And uh, when we returned, finally we came back up to the room, and uh, my mom was there, and she said, uh, how was it? And I said, you fine? She goes, what, what are you having? Oh, it's a, it's a, some man gave us a ticket. And she said, oh, it's probably a picture. I'll go have it developed. And you paid like a dollar or right. two. Turns out we were sitting with Humphrey Bogart. Oh, is that right? Do you still have the picture? <laughs> yeah, this had been 1955. Do you have the picture still? Yeah, still got oh, That's amazing. <laughs> that's great stuff. That's the thing about this town, and you know having a home here. It's always changing. Stuff is always evolving. It's always building. You never know who you're going to run into. It's it's awesome. And now there's so many music uh, artists that have moved here, rock artists relocated here. Geezer Butler lives right up the street from me. Steve Stevens lives here now. It's like everybody's – it's been great having a place here because so many people come through or live here that I can pick them off and do what we're doing right now. So – it's been great. This town really is uh, exploding right now. Everywhere you look, something's going up. Yeah. So it's very, very cool. Well, thank you for these dice and the Frankie's Tiki Room sticker, too, which I've been to. That place, you, you, that's an Uber for sure to go to that place because those drinks, one will level you. Frankie's Tiki Room. <laughs> great spot. for Charleston, yeah. I went there with Andrew Dice Clay once. What a night that was. My Ooh. gosh, we had fun. All right, let's get a few calls in for Billy right now with the time that we have left on this show. And... Uh, We'll start in Tampa, Florida with Wes as our first caller. Wes, you're on with Billy Gibbons. How you doing, Billy? Absolutely hey, man. to speak to you today. Uh, I'm a producer from Tampa, and, one, and the one guy, that the picker I've worked in, with in the business that you would probably know. Can you, you can hear me all right, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the one guy that I've worked with that you probably know is Dangerous Dan Toller from the Almond Brothers. Yes, indeed. I his last record in 2012 before he passed, and we lost him in 2013. So, but I, the reason I called is Billy. We were talking a while back over on uh, XM Volume with your old buddies Mark Goodman and Alan Light. You remember that on the Bay? Sure enough. And I just happened to call in on the day that America's best singing bass player left the stage, Dusty Hill. Oh, yeah. So my call ended up kind of almost being a little bit of a eulogy that day. I didn't really know what to say. But, but at the end of the call, all three of us came to the conclusion 
there's something about losing a member of a trio that really hurts, that really stings for everyone, not just the band, but their fans. It happened with Neil Peart and Rush, you know, that kind of thing. Now, we didn't know about the Amazing Elmore at the time. Yeah, well, we're so we're so glad. So, Wes, what's your question? Because I got a ton of calls. Is there a question? Right. My 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 question is: I think you touched on it earlier, Billy. I've been on hold for a while about your transformation from a grimy three-piece playing gigs out of a Dodge van over to the synth and digital and drum machine. You know what? What album was that? And what producer was that? And I'll and I'll hang up and I'll listen. It's great. Yeah. Well, well, uh, good to hear your voice. uh, we're actually Tampa, Florida, uh, where you're hailing from, uh, is not too far from uh, one of these opening gigs with Leonard Skinner coming up in July. But uh, the, the, but his question about the evolution of the sound, where where you brought in the electronics, that really was with Eliminator initially, right? You didn't really do it much before that, right? Yeah, and uh, although we were recording in uh, Memphis, uh, we had uh, just come off the road. And uh, some of the gear that uh, we had scrounged together, uh, there were a couple of pieces that we found in a music store, and <laughs> oddly enough, it was in Florida. But uh, I, maybe there was some—I don't know—we could we could uh, dream on this forever. Uh, southernness to this whole thing—I mm. I don't know. But mm. uh, uh, Terry Manning was uh, willing to. Uh, uh, go the go the run the gamut with us for with all of this crazy new stuff and uh, as we mentioned earlier jim dickinson was the one he said yeah man he said uh, you got this crazy platform to 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 sail across he said uh, but them guitar riffs keep keep it keep it one foot in the blues was there any blowback from the hardcore fans of zz top up to that point when they heard eliminator as much as it became this massive record 10 million sold but the hardcore base the guys the people that were with you very early on the more raw stripped down sound that they were used to was there any initial like uh from from the base up to that point be like ah well, what's what what they do here uh coincidentally uh everybody seemed to enjoy the boost uh it took it took this uh this early period uh which was pretty much tried and true and we never left it it just got beefier mm. and chewier <laughs> that's, a, that's a good good way to put it beefier and chewier here's rich who's in southern california rich you're on with billy gibbons hey billy how do you doing god this is hey, such an, an honor such an honor listen you played on Alice Cooper's Paranormal album um, with the song Falling in Love and I Can't Get Up. Y- you, you know, when you put that song first on, you can tell immediately it's Billy Gibbons. And I wanted to see what was it like writing uh, and playing with Alice Cooper and in the studio with Bob Ezrin. Well, Alice Cooper has gathered uh, a, uh, a momentum that's still going strong today. Um, he's celebrating a birthday, uh, which, which defies description. Here's a guy that's been around for decades. And, uh, I think that, uh, it's his genuine, uh, passion that gets behind the music that allows, uh, he can invite, uh, anybody and uh, he could say, Hey, look, we're going to play the calendar today. Uh, or open up the dictionary and find a word. Let's write a song about it. He's, mm. he's just... He's just that uh, 
he is that passionate and dedicated. So, yeah, to answer your question, uh, it was a delight to uh, to join forces with a guy like Alice Cooper. What an amazing guy, a guy that I'm fortunate enough to also call a friend, a guy that is uh, always so kind and generous and so prolific this late in his life, much like you. I mean, uh, after doing this 50 plus years, there's very few people that still want to pump out new music and tour, whether it's with ZZ Top or whether it's your own stuff, solo stuff, always pumping out stuff. You just had a, I was, you don't even know this. I was actually at your birthday thing at the uh, Troubadour about a month ago uh, in LA. I was there and uh, you came out and jammed and it was uh, Joe Bonamassa actually got me in. He hit me up and he was because he played as well. And I know Joe and I was in L.A. And I said, oh, there's this uh, uh, Fabrizio was there. You know, I saw him all the all the the old crew. But that was a wonderful night. And then you came out at the end, did like six, eight songs. So there's a parallel there with you and Alice because you're both. I imagine, you know, he's probably a little bit older than you, but you're still so driven. You could easily rest on your success in your catalog, but you don't. Oh, gosh. Well, yeah, that's that pretty much sums it up. Uh, I I think that, in fact, uh, going back to that night, December the fifteenth, uh, it was this big birthday celebration at the Troubadour. Yeah, and the uh, the host of uh, performers that uh, shared the stage with us, uh, Guthrie Trap, for instance, flew out from Nashville. Guthrie Trap is uh, he's the secret weapon. Pl- plays the sides off the guitar. And uh, he said, you know, he said, he said, uh, look around. He said, uh, and this was in the afternoon. Things were getting, uh, picking up steam. He said, uh, there is such energy. There's such enthusiasm to to be able to get to do what we love yeah. getting to do. Yeah, such a great vibe in the room that night. Some incredible performances, too. It was, it was really a lot of fun. Here is uh, Dean, who's in South Carolina. Dean, you're on with Billy Gibbons. Uh, hey Billy, uh, thank you so much for all the music uh, throughout the decades. I just, I just, it's a soundtrack of my life, man. And thank you so much for writing all that stuff. Show enough, show yeah, enough, um, man. What, what I wanted to ask about? You guys had some of the coolest, most awesome stages in the uh, in the eighties. Your uh, Afterburner was the first tour I saw you. And the stage, my God, it was just unlike anything I'd ever seen. You know, it was the dashboard of the car. And then if my memory serves right, in the middle of it, you guys, it it transformed into the control panel of what became the spaceship of that car. And uh, (laughs) I'm I'm just I'm just going, wow, that's just one of the coolest things I think I've ever seen. How did those types of things come about? Because you had a pretty cool one in, in on Recycler as well. That one was really cool so um what uh could you just explain a little bit about was that you guys conceptualized that and just say hey build us this so uh but anyway that's my question i'll hang up and take your answer off the air thank you so much Billy. yeah good to hear your voice from south carolina uh a lot of that production uh that wound up hitting the stage was the result of some lengthy you know late night hours of just uh dreaming and scheming thinking uh gosh what would what would ZZ Top do uh, to bring a show that would be uh, provocative, something dramatic? Um, believe it or not, we worked with uh, some some really talented uh, 
production and stage designers. Uh, and, of course, Las Vegas was uh, not off the map. It was dead center on the map and still remains to this day. I think, uh, um, gosh, as uh, Eddie pointed out, uh, we've been in and out of Las Vegas for for uh, a goodly amount of, of time. And the reason being is... Uh, those kind of production values that you just described still exist. And uh, if you want to have a good time and uh, a good show, uh, you can start right here in Sin City. <laughs> Come on out. <laughs> it's crazy. Are you going to do another residency at some point here? Do you want it? Y- yes. It's an ongoing thing. I think you did the Venetian, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, the uh, invitation has been extended uh, to return. Uh, and what a great room. It's uh got a great sound and uh, you can't beat it it's yeah. really something no doubt here's chris who's in connecticut joining us right now on trunk nation with billy gibbons hey chris thanks eddie um mr gibbons thank you for everything you're a master of sound tone groove note choices vibrato everything and you're you're an inspiration and uh you're a big part of my guitar playing so just thank you um my comment is that um, last year the Black Crows went on tour doing a full front-to-back album of Shake Your Moneymaker. And I think you guys should do Trace Ombre's. I mean, you know, that would be like for the people who've gone way back with you guys, that would be such a treat for us. So maybe something to think about. Is there appeal to you, Billy? To Thanks, Chris. Is there appeal to you, whether it's that album or another album in the catalog, that you would like to do the full the full album treatment at a at a show or a tour for? Yeah, in fact, uh that's an interesting uh remark that uh holds promise. Uh the performance by uh uh artists that that bring forward uh familiar material and it could be just one song or two throughout the night, but to f- the fact that uh uh, focusing a theme, playing the entire record front to back, is really intriguing. And uh, Trey Sombres would be a good place for ZZ Top to start. Uh, we're still doing Lagrange, still doing uh, Waiting for the Bus, still doing Jesus Just Left Chicago. Uh, who knows? Hot Blue and Righteous could be right around the corner. <laughs> we we could, get to uh, them all eventually, right? Yeah, yeah. It'd be a, that's that's a wonder. Hey, gracias, amigo. Thank you for that. <laughs> His comment about your guitar playing after all these decades of playing, do you still practice? Are you one of these guys that you hear? You know, I talk to Slash, and he sleeps with the guitar still. It's always next to him. He's constantly noodling. Are you that kind of guy, or are you kind of like? At this point, no, when the show, I got this down. When the show's ready, I'm good. Otherwise, I don't need a guitar around me. How are you wired? Oh, well, yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, this very discussion uh, just emerged with uh, my good friend Jimmy Vaughn down in Austin, Texas, and uh, uh, his sidekick and mine uh, from the Hammond B3, Mike Flanagan. The three of us were talking, and lo and behold, uh, uh, Sue Foley showed up as well as Chris Layton. Uh, a lot of folks know Chris from playing drums behind Stevie Ray Vaughan, and uh, he, he's now with Kenny's outfit. But uh, the five of us gather at the end of each year uh, down in Austin to uh, deliver a thing 
we, we gather under the name The Jungle Show. And uh, it's kind of made up. It's a jam session. We pull song titles out of the hat. And then the, tu- the conversation turned to, do you rehearse? Do, we, do you ever rehearse? Do you practice? And all of us kind of said, well, uh, that's a good question. It's so close to us. We don't call it practicing or rehearsing. We just call it going back to the well (laughs) (laughs) and getting to do it. Are you a noodler, though? Like when you're home, are you a guy that's always got a guitar in his lap even when they're watching TV? Oh, yeah. You are. Yeah, got to have it. You always got it near you. That's that's usually most of the greats always uh, do say that. It's uh, attached attached to them. Uh, Let's go to Canada. This is Turner, who's in Ottawa. Turner, you're on with Billy Gibbons. Hey, thanks, Eddie. Appreciate you taking my call, man. And Billy, it is truly an honor to get to talk to you, man. This is excellent. Thank you, sir. Um, yeah, no, uh, I just wanted to ask you about uh, the Desert Sessions experience, like working with uh, Josh Homey on that, like how it kind of came about and when you got there. And, you know, your song Move Together on that record's great. And Les Claypool is actually credited on bass. And I'm just uh, wondering about that whole experience. But, yeah, once again, it's just truly an honor to talk to you, man. Yeah, I've been an admirer of uh, Josh's work with Queens of the Stone Age is epic. And uh, I've been a fan of the desert. Uh, He's a desert rat from way back. He said, hey, man, he said, uh, we're going to Rancho de la Luna. Uh, He said, uh, uh, come on out and uh, let's let's, uh, see what shakes. Well, that was uh, an automatic. Uh, uh, Joshua Tree is... uh, kind of this mystical magical place and to know that there's a studio right on the edge uh you can't you can't turn it down it's one of those places uh you you can't deny uh that there's something going on out there in fact uh, move together is a track that unfolded uh i stepped away from the studio control room and i walked out to the edge of the uh the drive right in front of the studio and I'm observing this uh, vista looking over uh, Joshua tree and uh, here comes Josh from behind me and I heard this strange sound in his hand was this battery powered music making device we don't know what it was and I turned I flipped her I said what is that he says I don't know I just found it in the studio I said well don't touch a thing let's use it and he said for what I said let's write a song around it (laughs) so it's it's moments like that that uh, in fact that became moved together Uh, we still don't know what that device was Uh, I'd like to have one if we could find it but uh, nonetheless uh, working with Josh is a is a delight his whole team uh, and when you mention Les uh, Claypool gosh there's another talent. So uh, those uh, those sessions, uh, in fact, uh, I, I left those sessions and went straight to work on the uh, BFG solo record, which became Hardware. Which but, I've got up on my counter. You just used my bathroom. I showed you I got it on display up there. It's right next door. <laughs> uh, Matt Sorum was on drums. Uh, Mike Fiorentino was present. Chad Slosser. Uh, we... We, uh, we, we took the, the moment to uh, take that magic of, of this, this mystical energy that seems to surround the, the desert. Austin Hanks, our left-handed guitar player, uh, he is so crazy, you can't even watch him play because 
Not only is he left-handed, which means he plays a right-handed guitar, it's upside down, backwards. Uh, he's got an unorthodox uh, tuning. You, you just can't look at it. But he said, hey, man, you come to the desert and it all works. So there you have it. <laughs> there you have it. It's amazing the, 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 the scope of artists you've played with, whether you've jammed with them or contributed to their records or, again, the diversity that's there. I mean, you, from Nickelback to Sammy Hagar to Al Jorgensen to Josh Homme to you name it, I mean – doing all being exposed to all these different musicians and jamming does it always kind of keep you on your toes a little bit as far as as a player you're you're hip to everything going on that's the thing you're you're in tune with stuff going on now too you really keep up with all this stuff yeah i would i would say it's an invitation to to stretch out and uh, go into places uh, that you haven't been before it 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 works in that way. It's it's. Uh, I I wouldn't say it's comfortable, but it's curious. Is it hard to say? I mean, I mean, imagine people are reaching out to you constantly to make a guest appearance or jam with them or something. Is it hard to say no? Sometimes you got to say no, right? Well, uh, it's your 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 manager's point saying I'm the guy that's got to do the, the, You got to have a bad guy. Well, here <laughs> here. Uh, here we are in Las Vegas. I just got a phone call from uh, our good buddy, Keith Urban. Mm. He's playing uh, Planet Hollywood. He's opening up a, a extended stay. Uh, he said, hey, man, he said, I heard you're in town. Come on, come on over. Uh, we'll see if we can squeeze that in because we love what Keith Urban does. Uh, someone said, oh, you play country music too? And I said, well, when you're with Keith Urban, it could go in 10 different directions. <laughs> It's always good, but that's just it. I mean, there's not, there's nobody that's not going to want you to, you know, to to jam with them or to come by. Uh, real quick, couple more quick ones, and we'll wrap it up. Here's Kevin in Nashville. Go ahead, Kev. Hey guys, it's an honor to, to be able to chat with you. I just bought your your album Hardware. I love it. I can't get it off repeat. Um, my question for you is, what was it like for you guys as a band getting to do the the cartoon King of the Hill? <laughs> oh King yeah, the hill. well, Mike Judge, a good friend of ours, is—he's uh, always got something up his sleeve. He's a creative guy. Uh, I just like the way he thinks. And uh, anytime he comes around, he said, uh, "Hey, what would you think about doing this?" And I said, "Well," and he will invite you to say, "Well, I've said this. Can you say that?" So it's an open book. It's—it's uh, it's really cool. King of the Hill. What a crazy series that turned out to be! And you were in—that would be an animated show. But of course, we should—we should mention you've done some acting as well. And that series, Bones, is that still happening? Are you still doing that? Uh, we wrapped up after after a dozen years. Can believe it or not, 12, 12 long years. Uh, still friends. Made uh, a great cast. Uh, still, still talk with. Uh, gosh. Uh, we all grew as a family, as mm. you can imagine. Yeah, uh, that's a a lengthy. Th I still got to be the mean dad. <laughs> <laughs> that's very cool. Here's uh, one last one. I think we'll have time for uh, Brian in Chicago. Go ahead, Brian. Hey Eddie. Hey Billy. Um, real quick, take me. Uh, by the way, I just got out the Guayo and I checked out the three you on the inside sleeve. It's awesome. Frank having the beard there, and you guys with the saxes and berets. Yeah. Sweet. Um, 
um, saw you guys in 80 at Poplar Creek, the outdoor venue in Chicago, and the suburbs that's now closed. And my question is, blues clubs that have closed in a city over the years, like Kingston Mines, Checkerboard Lounge, um, the blues, did you ever have a chance to sit in with any of the um, Chicago blues guys, like, you know, Lenny Brooks, Buddy, you know, Buddy Guy, Muddy Waters, Willie Dixon? Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, well, you just named three of our favorites to this day. Uh, Willie Dixon and Muddy Waters are long gone, uh, but they remain high on our list of uh, just great memories. In fact, I got to play uh, on a couple of songs with Buddy Guy, wrote a number f for one of his albums recently produced by Tom Hambridge, uh, and... And uh, I played at the uh, Montreux Jazz Festival and, and, and slipped on stage uh, and uh, plugged in behind Buddy Guy. And uh, we wound up going into uh, Stormy Monday Blues. And it became, uh, it was one of those moments, it was uh, rather a uh, competitive challenge. Who could, who could emulate the Wayne Bennett guitar solo off of the Bobby Bland recorded version of Stormy Monday Blues. And uh, I got to tell you, to this day, Buddy Guy can do it with his eyes closed. Whatever you want, Buddy's there to do it. Mm, I had a chance to interview him, a wonderful man. It's uh, amazing, amazing history there as well, obviously, needless to say. We're going to run out of time here, so I'm going to let uh, wrap up and not take another call, but in a couple minutes that I have left before I have to end, is there anything you want to mention, anything that I missed? You have uh, obviously the tour with Skinner coming up. Is there talk of new ZZ Top music? Is there new music from you solo? Anything coming down the pike we should keep an eye open for? Well, uh, I should say it's always a pleasure, and uh, particularly here in Las Vegas, uh, the energy is running so high. I think you've touched upon uh, a couple of topics that uh, deserve mention. Uh, a new ZZ Top uh, recorded project uh, is on the books. Um, uh, Presently working on a solo uh, record, I've got Austin Hanks and Matt Sorum uh, corralled. We'll be uh, taking off for a uh, solo tour throughout Europe, which starts uh, the first week of June. Billy F. Gibbons is featuring Matt Sorum and Austin Hanks, uh, which is kind of, it, it's our favorite. Two guitars and drums. Mm. And uh the bottom end will be there, believe me. It's uh, it's kind of crazy, but uh, yeah, let's uh, let's uh, keep the conversation uh, rolling. Uh, as long as I have the opportunity to to uh, appear on an Eddie Trunk show, we never know what questions are going to land in our laps. <laughs> but it's always. Uh, it's kind of the invitation to keep it going. Well, I greatly appreciate you saying that, and I thank you for accepting the invitation. Uh, I took a swing because I knew you were in town, and I said it worked out perfectly, and uh, I can't thank you enough for doing this, Billy, and you know you're welcome, needless to say, anytime, call in, come in, anything at all. If you're in Vegas, you can see Billy Jammin tomorrow at the Jim Irsay Collection event, and again, just go to the websites, ZZ Top Shows, Billy F. Gibbons Shows, the, the, all this stuff's going on, and uh, just savor every second we still have all this great music, man. There's so much. The history is insane, and it still just keeps building and getting better. So thank you so much. 
Great to see you. I appreciate it. Have mercy. And folks, coast to coast, border to border, all around the planet, don't touch that dial. You're hearing <laughs> with Eddie Trunk. Look out now. Well, such a treat to have Billy dropping by. Always good to visit with him. He gave me some tips for some great restaurants in Vegas, which I really don't need. <laughs> Not that I don't need the tips. I don't need to be going to more restaurants, but uh, it was great to spend time with Billy. And after that interview ended that you just heard, we ended up hanging out in my place for like, Another half hour, 45 minutes, just talking. Just one of the best guys and obviously a legendary, iconic figure. Big thanks to Billy Gibbons. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. Remember, don't miss anything. Come on board with me at SiriusXM and listen to Trunk Nation every day, live Monday through Friday, 3 to 5 Eastern, Faction Talk Channel 103, or anytime on demand, audio, video, and more on the SiriusXM app. Have a great week, and I'll catch you back here next Thursday for another podcast and each and every weekday live on the radio. Take care. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley, in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. (laughs) 